Father God, we thank you so much for an opportunity to learn about finances and how to handle them according to your word. So guide us with your spirit, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, so today, you know, I, I thought about what would be appropriate starting place. And I thought about how uh, Moses' message to Pharaoh was, let my people go that they might serve me. And of course, the people that Moses was wanting to free were those who were enslaved and in bondage. And they were not able to go. They were not free to go. They could not go at all. And uh, so there had to be some work that God did to help them to get free so they could go and serve God. And one of the things we discovered the Scripture talks about is that if you are a, if the, the, star, the, how's it go? the borrower is servant to the lender, the same word is slave. So if we can get so enslaved in debt that we aren't free to go and serve God. I know some people who, they thought, you know, we would love to go and serve God, do missions and, and all that kind of stuff, but they had racked up a debt close to around $300,000. And I can tell you that when you go to do service for God, the wages are not necessarily going to sustain paying that money back. And so they wanted to go, but they couldn't go because they were enslaved. And unless God did a miracle and unless some priorities changed in their life, they would never be able to go. So one of the things we want to do, we believe that we're living in the end of time, and we believe that uh, more than just Elisha would be called from the plow of what they're presently doing in their occupation, uh, to be doing some service for God in some capacity where they might not make a lot of money. They might not make any money at all. They might be living on a faith salary, in fact. And we need to be able to be free to do that. That's right. So. Yep, put it up. So the quote behind me says, this is uh, Councils and Stewardship, page 111.3. Do all church members realize that all they have is given them to be used and improved to God's glory? God keeps a faithful account with every human being in our world. And when the day of reckoning comes, the faithful steward takes no credit to himself. He does not say, my pound, but thy pound hath gained other pounds. Uh, you know, it's funny because when we go through this, you know, each one of us, we look at these quotes and I, something jumps out at me and something totally jumps, different jumps out to him. But from this quote, what I really love is that last sentence that we don't say my pound because nothing that we have belongs to us. And we'll be talking about that. But we say thy pound, God. It earned to you more. So that's what impressed me. But he had something different he yeah, liked. Yeah, the first line is talked about all they have is given them to be used and, and improved to God's glory. So everything we have, you know, a lot of times we, we give from our excess to God and the rest of it we look at as ours. But honestly, all of it is to be used to God's glory. Some of that glory is used to provide for our needs, but some of it is to be used to advance the kingdom of God in many different capacities. We got about five or six, or I don't even know how many different points. Oh, you want to do that? Oh, go ahead. So there's a quote. You didn't type that one in, did you? No, I didn't. Uh, Ken Hughes, he says, God can have our money and not our hearts. But he cannot have our hearts without having our money. Think about that. God can have our money without having our hearts. You know how it is. You can pass some money in the offering place that goes by, and your heart can be far from it. But God cannot have your heart without having your money. So if you give your heart to God, you, your heart is moved to give towards the causes. You know, our money is not separate from that. So we're going to the principle that God owns it all. And I think you have some text there. Yep. Psalms 24.1. 
David says, the earth is the Lord's and all of its fullness, the world and all those who dwell therein. So everything belongs to God. It's just the principle that he's a creator. And so it is all his. You can advance if you don't need that. Psalms 50, 12. If I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world is mine and all of its fullness. So everything belongs to God. The same principle will be seen in the following text. All right? So we just know that, that it all is owned by God. And we're simply managers of what God has given us. Stewardship is a big, broad umbrella. I mean, you could go over and listen to Vicki Griffin talk about stewardship of your body temple. That's part of stewardship. Cameron DeVay, you're talking about personal ministry, stewardship of truth. That's a part of stewardship. Stewardship of talent. They're doing painting class over there. I saw in the, the chapel, that's a stewardship of your talents, using that to glorify God as an entering wedge. We're kind of hitting the narrow part of it. We're dealing with finances, the stewardship of finances. So we'll be, we'll be fleshing that and actually, out a little you know, bit he more. He just only mentioned three or four. When the, he was doing a uh, series on stewardship, and I could not believe how many different areas of our life we're stewards of. And when we think of stewardship, a lot of times that's what we think of as just money. But, um, you know, he talked about stewardship of truth. What do we do with the truth that we have? Um, stewardship of, of our relationships. What do we do with our relationships? Um, anyway, stewardship just covers a huge area. But like he said, we're just doing this. And one of, one of the points I want to put on God owns it all, um, I'm just going to put a little story in here. It actually comes out of uh, this book, Got Your Money Counts. And I just love this story because it totally changes your perspective when you think God owns it all. So this guy went through a, a money class and he learned about God's ownership of everything. And he had a really nice car. Now, I'm not a big car person, but guys are. So he was going along and he, someone gave him a big, long crease in his car. And he was just furious because, you know, it was his car and he has this big, long crease. And then he just remembered what he had just learned in his financial class. And he took a big breath and he stopped and he said, God, I don't know why you wanted a crease in your car, but you got it. And it just changed his perspective because it wasn't his car. And he was mad about the crease in his car. It was God's car. And he said, you know, God, you allowed it. It's your car. And, and it, just, it just totally took all the anger and stress out of his life. So when we can have a different perspective about our money, mm -hmm. sorry, I hope mm -hmm. they can still hear on the table. <laughs> it's not our money, it's God's money, and it just totally changes the way that we think about everything. It should take the stress out of our life. So there's another story of this Christian down in Dallas-Fort Worth area, and he had a fairly nice car, but he noticed that his friends had BMWs and Mercedes-Benz, and he thought, Lord... How come you're withholding me the better things? I've been faithful with you. I attend church. I'm very active in the church. And how come I have all this stuff withheld from me that other people who have no relationship with you, they're prospering? How come? Then he went on a mission trip to Haiti. And he saw how little they had. And when he came back, he said, Lord, I'm totally content with what you've given to me. So, you know, godliness with contentment is great gain. So we, we have to align our, our thinking with Scripture as we recognize God owns it all. First Chronicles 29, 12-14. Both riches and honor come from you. This is one of my favorite texts. And you reign over all. In your hand is power and might. In your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. Now therefore, at our God, we thank you and praise you, your glorious name. But who am I and who are my people that we should be able to offer so willingly as this for all the things that come from you 
and of your own we have given you. So what we give back to God, really, is uh, it's his anyway. It's his anyway. So. so the second principle that we're talking about um, is that we are stewards. And that comes from 1 Corinthians 4.2. Moreover, it is required in... What? Can you read it up there? Oh, thank you. Okay, you are awake. <laughs> then a man be found faithful. So if we are stewards, we are responsible. I don't know where to stand because I have to stand here next to the mic, but I know I'm in the way for you guys. <laughs> um, if we are stewards, it means that we are taking care of somebody else's things, right? So... Um, we're going to be talking about this whole stewardship thing in a lot of the different um, days. Um, one of the days we talk about, um, when we're talking about wills and things like that, we are stewards of his money. And that plays into it. Um, if I hire a contractor or a steward to build my house, I'm expecting him to give me a house when he's done, right? Now, if he subcontracts it out, and something goes wrong, am I going to get mad at the subcontractor or, or am I going to get mad at the contractor? contractor? That's right. I'm ultimately holding him responsible, right? So we have to be careful when we are God's stewards, it's not good enough, don't walk away, it's not good enough for us to subcontract it out to somebody else to take care of, is it? Because God still is holding us responsible. So if we're going to subcontract it out, we're, we need to realize that whatever our subcontractors do reflects on ourselves, right? So that's going to come around a lot in the different stages of life that we talk about. We are ultimately the stewards of everything that God has entrusted to us. And we can't um, abdicate that responsibility by just passing it off to somebody else. That doesn't work that way. So there's a statement about um, two rails that all the stewardship principles in the Bible flow on. <clears throat> the first rail is God's ownership. He owns it all. <clears throat> That's the first rail. The second rail is our stewardship um, of that resource. And those are, they go all the way through Scripture. When you talk about stewardship, those two principles are side by side. Uh, I missed the part about the, the um, there's the parable of the talents and, you know, how God gave the talents to the people and they were responsible for doing something with it. Some of them invested it. Some of them just hid it. But they were ultimately the ones that were responsible for what happened to those. Even if they invested it with somebody else, they had to come back and give an account. All right, so we go to our third principle. Is that God, God in his wisdom and counsel must have first place in our life. You know, that's the only way it really works. If God's not first, other things crowd in, and pretty soon God's on the back burner. So he must be first. And we look at Proverbs 3, verse 5 to 9. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Lean not to your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will direct your path. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. It will be for health to your flesh and strength to your bones. Honor the Lord with your possessions, and with the first fruits of all your increase. In Matthew 6, Matthew 6 uh, 33 famous statement, but uh, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these other things, what you eat, drink, and do, and wear, and house security, and all that will be added unto you. 
But he's got to be first. He's got to be first. You know, and the other thing with this is that, um, you know, it's an awesome responsibility to be a steward, but God doesn't just throw us out there and say, do it, and I'm not telling you how. He's given us so much counsel in the Bible that he really wants to help us with our job. He's giving us a job, and he wants to help us with the job. And we just need to make ourselves, um, avail ourselves of the, the help that he's given. Um, not only in the Bible, but he's also given other people wisdom. And that's, you know, what we've learned from reading books um, is really valuable. But we have to be careful who we're getting the counsel from. Is it somebody that's godly or is it somebody that's worldly? So um, godly wisdom is really important. All right, so we go to our fourth principle. It says, uh, our purpose in life is to glorify God. So it's not that we get the glory. It's like the contractor who uh, builds a house and the person who's paying all the bills and all that. It's, they, you don't get the glory uh, of managing it well. Uh, you're, you're giving the glory to the owner because he's the one that hired you and said, what a nice house you have. You know, it's like, wow, your contract was amazing. So, <laughs> yeah. And uh, when we've done the least that we can, we, we were supposed to say we're just but unprofitable servants because everything we have has been given to you, to us from God. And so God gets the glory. So we have a couple of verses there. Matthew five sixteen. Let your life so, light so shine before men that they may see your good works and... That's right. Glorify your Father in heaven. That's really what our ultimate aim is, is to bring glory to God. And the other one is First, uh, first Corinthians 10.31. Therefore, you know this one, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. And so if we're thinking about our finances in that way, our finances and how we handle them isn't just for ourselves, it's to bring glory to God, isn't it? All right, our fifth point, uh, prosperity is having what you need when you need it. You know, it's um, like the guy who wanted that nice car. He really didn't need that Cadillac. He didn't need the Cadillac or the Mercedes Benz. He was doing just fine with the car that he had, and he was happy with it. It's only when he looked around and compared himself with others that he became discontent. Why can't I have more like that? <clears throat> so <clears throat> prosperity, we just got to remember by God's definition, you know, prosperity is what you eat, drink, and wear. If you got those things and other things will also be added there, that you get very prosperous. And when you look at 80% of the world's culture today, you're more than prosperous. You're pretty wealthy, actually. In this <laughs> country, you're considered wealthy by far by the, by the masses the of, the of the world. Yeah. So we need to learn to be content. Philippians 4.19, And my God shall supply all of your needs according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. He doesn't necessarily say all your wants, but he does say all your needs, right? And Matthew 28.20, Teaching them to observe all things that I commanded you, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So God is with us. And he is everything that we need, honestly. And then I think I got one, yeah, Isaiah 26.3. You want to do that one? You will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Honestly, you can't trust in your work, employment. You know, I talked to one pastor here who, uh, he had a great job. And he saw himself working in that job and all the way through his career. But he lost it when General Motors shut down and 17,000 were laid off or whatever. 
And uh, suddenly it was gone like that. God had a new calling in his life, and pretty soon it was evident that God was calling him into ministry. So you cannot uh, depend on um, what's going on in life. God has a chance to change it. You don't get paid from your boss. God provides it through that resource for now, but he may shift gears and put you in another position, and he may provide for your needs through a totally different employment route. Completely. So that may be Guy's perspective because you know they're, they're very much thinking that way. I, my perspective is um, I've been a stay-at-home mom, so I don't have a steady income. And so it's tempting to think that my husband is the one who's providing for me, right? A lot of us say, you know, my husband provides for me, uh, but I have to change my perspective, and it's not my husband that provides for me, it's God that provides for me. Through my husband, that's true. But if for some unforeseen reason, God should take him away or let him pass away and I don't have him anymore, I could stress out and say, you know, what's gonna happen? But if, if my perspective is that God is providing for me, not for him, not him, then if he's gone, I don't. I still have God providing me. He's just gonna have to find a different way, right? You know, you did a job or what? I mean, I don't know what it is. But my my point is that if I just rely on my husband, or if he just relies on his boss and doesn't have the perspective that everything that we have comes from God, then it just leads to stress. So we've had some growing experiences last couple of years. Our son Jonathan took a non-traditional way about getting to where God was leading in his life. He was going to be a teacher, but. God led him down to a mission experience in Bolivia, and he came back and said, I'm called to be a missionary. So off the training at Project Move and uh, doing some of the projects down South America, it was totally by faith, and uh, people would make donations. And the missionaries, a lot of those missionaries that work through those organizations, it is totally by faith. Uh, there's no guaranteed paycheck at all. And uh, so that brought home to us the whole thing about God's the one who's going to provide for him. And we've seen that happen. He's going to go on a mission trip to Colombia. No money to speak of. And uh, he needed an X number of dollars by a certain date. And sure enough, the Lord provided. And the Lord's kind of interesting. He allows it to come in slowly to build your faith, you know? <laughs> so you, uh, you just keep praying and trusting. But uh, pretty soon you bought a ticket and not all the money's there, but you step out in faith. And then God provides the rest. And he had a phenomenal success. They built... Three churches, basically. Three churches with the money that he started with because once he got down there... And the money was for one church. Yeah. He ended, when he got down there, he ended up being Money came in from other sources and they, they built two and then he's going to go back and probably Thanksgiving and build a third one. So You know, and as a parent, it's been a little bit... Um, it's helped my faith grow watching him um, have his faith. Um, but it's also very challenging for me because... Um, I want to, you know, what if you don't get the money? <laughs> you know, are you are you making contingency plans and are you know are you making a plan B and and I have a tendency to 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 fret about some of that stuff, and yet I don't want to destroy his faith. So I just have to shut my mouth, not say anything, and just pray, just like they talked about. I don't know if you heard the early morning meeting this morning, but that was phenomenal. Mm. Um, you know, spending more time in prayer and less time talking to people spending more time talking to God. Um, and when you're just able to step back a little bit, and then, and then when you see God come through, man, did it grow my faith, even though I wasn't the one involved. It was, it's been incredible, it's incredible been a, faith walk. It's been a stretch for us because, you know, you think about putting the money away towards retirement, and you think about all these things and how you, much you want to aggregate or whatever, 
and then realize, you know what, God's not calling us to, to build mansions here on earth. We need to provide for our needs and so forth. But there's also a part where you want, God wants us to give more invested into the work, finishing the work. And that requires a little simplicity in living and other things that opens up the opportunities to do that. So um, in this, this week-long seminar that we're doing, um, we're, we're, there's a balance between faith and presumption. And for each person, it's going to be in a different spot. So we want to challenge people to think a little bit wider and broader than maybe what the worldly was. I mean, you can go to financial seminars. There's so many of them out there. But most of them are very much worldly wisdom, which is so different than God's wisdom. And so I, we don't want to give you what everybody else is giving you. We want to give you what the Bible says. And maybe to challenge you to, to step out a little bit. But we're not here to be your conscience, and we're not here to tell you what to do. Um, that has to be a conviction that comes from God. I, I couldn't do what Jonathan does. God hasn't called me to do that. I probably could if God called me. But right now, God hasn't called me just to walk out and do great things with nothing. you know. But he has called Jonathan. And if Jonathan didn't go, that's, that's our son's name. If Jonathan didn't go, then he would be denying God's leading. If I just stepped out on my own and said, well, Jonathan's doing it, so I'm going to do it too, that, and God's not calling me, that's presumption. So there's no way that we can tell anybody what God is talking to you for. But when you spend time in prayer, um, he makes it abundantly clear. It's true. All right, principle number six. We demonstrate our trust in him through giving. So we find out that a common thread throughout the Old Testament, uh, tithing is one of those principles that's taught. And uh, the New Testament, there's the generosity principle taught as in Luke 6.38. Give. Oh, go ahead. No, go ahead. You got it. Give and it shall be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over, and it will be poured out into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. I love this verse. Isn't that amazing? He doesn't just say what you give, it'll come back. He says, shaken, you know, when, when you want to get extra stuff, you know, you shake it. You press it down, and even doing all of that, it's still overflowing. That's like when, when God says, I come that they have joy and have abundantly. You know, it's, he wants to abundantly bless us. And that, this verse just really says that to me. Yep. So the underlying principle of finances is God gives us the, the means, the abilities, and then he asks us how much we trust him, you know, as we... Return ties and offerings, we'll look at that in a second. And then as we start to invest things into advancing the kingdom of God, it's like, how much do you trust me? So we're thinking about giving on this side, but on the Jonathan side is, how much do you trust me? I'm calling you to do this. You don't have anything in your pocketbook to cover it, but how much do you trust me? Are you going to go ahead and plan it anyway? Are you going to trust that I'm leading and guiding as the doors open? And that goes back to Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. You just have to trust in him. So a tithe is the minimum testimony of our Christian commitment. Um, we have Strong Tower Radio in our area, and so we get to listen to Bible Answers Live. And Doug Bachelor gets a lot of questions about tithe. And I love his answers because people talk to him, you know, well, what about the New Testament? And he said, in the New Testament, tithe was a minimum. He said, if you read the New Testament church, they sold everything and shared it with everybody. And here we are, 
worried about 10%, you know, and, and trying to justify not even get, giving that from the New Testament. And he says, you know, in the New Testament, they did everything. Even in the Old Testament, there was a tithe, then there was a second tithe, there was a third tithe. They, I mean, they just, the 10% the tithe that went to the Levites was minimum. And then on top of that, there's offerings. In fact, Malachi, and we don't talk about this very often, um, that's why tithe is a minimum. Um, oh, and my mind's gone. Prove, um, bring y'all tithes in the storehouse. Approve me now. Because it See says, if I oh, open up the window. No, you have robbed. Oh no, you have robbed me. And they said, wherein have we robbed me? Ye, me, you. And he said, in tithes and offerings. So we talk about withholding our tithes. Sorry, my mind just went there for a second. Um, we withhold our, you know, when we withhold our tithes, we're, we're robbing God, right? And, and we talk about that a lot, that withholding tithes is robbing God. But what we don't talk about is that God also says that when you withhold your offerings, that's also robbing. Now, God doesn't tell us how much offerings are. But if all we do is just tithe, we're still robbing God, aren't we? Because he said in tithes and offerings. And um, tithe is, therefore, just a minimum. And, you know, when we study with people who are, you know, new to our faith or are figuring things out, there's always an issue of trust. <coughs> For some people, the issue of trust is Sabbath, you know? How can I keep Sabbath and keep my job? You know, it's do you trust God to obey him with the Sabbath and let him take care of your work? Okay, for other people, you know, it could be any one of our beliefs that, that is an area of trusting God. For some people, it's tithe, and they just don't see how they can live on 10% less. And I don't see how you cannot tithe, <laughs> because you can, it's easier to live on the 90% than on the 100%. I don't know how it happens. I just know over and over again, God is faithful. And when you put him to the test, he comes through all the time. And you know, um, he says, if I will not open the windows of heaven, but then in the next verse he says, I will rebuke the devourer, which means sometimes he doesn't open the windows of heaven by giving you something. Sometimes... He lets what you have last longer. So there's more than one way of right. providing for us. And a lot of times we just wait for the money to come in, you know, like the story he had this morning about the check that they got that you know they weren't expecting. You know, and that does happen. Don't don't get me wrong, that actually happens. But God provides in other ways. For the Israelites when they were in the in the wilderness, what did God provide for them for shoes and clothes? Remember what he says? Their shoes did not wear out. How many years were they in that desert? 40 years. How many of you have shoes for 40 years? <laughs> you know, I God can do it. God can provide. Oh, does he have shoes that are 40 years old? Not, not shoes. Maybe <laughs> a piece of clothes that stretches way back. I have a few of those. He has a few of those, yep. Yeah. And it's funny because his dad had some of those, and he thought his dad was so Weird to have these no, clothes for, that were so old, and now yeah. he's like There's his dad. You like me, yeah. But there's a lot of ways, not just our clothes, but <laughs> appliances. God has had our appliances way outlive their lifespan. And that is a savings to us without being a tangible increase. It's God providing. So I've been executive of my parents' estate, and 
we had to go back. I have two brothers of, of uh, different faith, and so my parents had paid tithes and offerings. They had Alzheimer's. My dad passed away, and my mom's still living. And so there was a challenge about, you know, this money. Why give so much money to the church? So we had to go back and look at their tax returns uh, for the last 30, 40 years or whatever it was. And uh, my dad, you know, he had something like 18% was his giving pattern, 10 and 8 uh, offering. But then he did project giving, so he actually averaged around 30%. And you would think with giving so much to God that we would be financially strapped. But on the other hand, my brothers and I, we all came out of college without any debts whatsoever. Uh, and my dad, he helped actually some money towards my grandkids, his grandkids' education. And so it's like, you know what? You aren't on the losing side as you're faithful with God. He blesses you. My dad was blessed. My mom and dad were blessed. And I, I, I can, honestly, I'm proud of my dad. I'm really proud. That really made me proud. I say, go dad. You got it. You got it. And you know, um, not everybody has come from a, a legacy of financial faithfulness. So some people are starting out. But you know what? You can yeah, be sure. that legacy for the next generation. And every time that we are able to build on what our parents did, it just helps us. But if you didn't have parents to build on, yeah. just think about your kids being able to build on your faithfulness. That's right. That's so. Right. so there's an issue of trust when it comes to stewardship. The promise of provision. God says, you know, I'll open up the windows of heaven, provide you so much that you won't even have room to receive it. But then there's always a practical test. God always has these practical tests for us to give us the opportunity to demonstrate. You know, honestly, I sit on Strong Tower Radio Board. And so when, like, Grand Rapids opportunity opened up, a $1.5 million project for this little small radio station to buy that station, the 300000 down at... Uh, Lansing is like, we don't have that kind of money, you know, but we put it out there and we watched as God just opened the doors. And, you know, even Grand Rapids, it was the very day that it was due. <laughs> our, uh, the president of, of Strong Tower Radio said, well, do I dress up to go like we're going to have the money and I'll be there to sign the check? Or, you know, because the owner of the place, he said, well, are we going to do it today or not? And he said, we're doing it. We didn't have the money. We were out like 250 more thousand dollars. And it's the day that it's due. And you know what? The Lord provided within a few minutes. It came in and we had to figure out how to get it from the bank, from one bank to the other. That was a big finesse hassle. But it was there. God provided. And that was all because of faith. So God always puts us in a position to trust him. And the third point with that, the stark reminder that failing the test of cheerful giving may be an indication that our hearts aren't following after God the way we think they are. And when Elder Mitchell made an appeal, he said, God doesn't need your money. God needs your heart. And where your treasures, there will your heart be. So in order to reach your heart, you know, that, that heart, once it's God's, it will be liberal and support God's work. So we have a couple of verses on this one. Um, Genesis 14, 20. And bless the Most High, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And this is he gave him a tithe of all, that being Abraham. And then Jacob made a vow, saying, If God will be with me and keep me in this way that I am going, and give me bread to eat and clothing to put on, so that I come back to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God, and this stone which I have set up as a pillar shall be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will surely give a tenth to you. So obviously... This isn't just for the Israelites, because we're talking about Abraham and Jacob way before the Israelites were already tied. So if we read the next one, you started with the word if. 
So um, <laughs> your father has a sermon. What's the title of that sermon? Um, if, because, and regardless. Because there's three different ways. Sermon. There's three different ways that we can relate to God. We can say, if God, you do this, then I'll do that. Quid pro quo. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, for some of us, that may be where we're at. And yep. God takes so us where we we're at because yep. he, he, he blessed Jacob. Um, then there's because, and Psalms is filled with, oh, Lord, because you've been so wonderful, I worship you. And, you know, over and over, Psalms, David is talking about how wonderful God is, and because God has been so wonderful, he wants to worship him. And that's, that's a step beyond if, you know, because God has blessed me, I want to do something. But the last step is regardless, and that's the three Hebrews when they were before Nebuchadnezzar. They, they said, you know, we don't know if God will, but it doesn't matter. Even if he doesn't, there's no way we're going to serve you or bow down to your image. So that's regardless. We don't care what God is, you know, that he answers our prayers the way we want or not. Regardless, we're going to serve him. So, yeah, there's three different levels there. Okay. Um, Leviticus 27.30. All the tithe of the land, whether of the seed of the land or the fruit of the tree, it is the Lord's. It is holy to the Lord. It's not just nice. It's holy. It's set apart. It's sacred. It's kind of like the Sabbath. You know, the Sabbath is holy and sanctified, and it's special. So it's not just like all the rest of it. And one more. Malachi. Oh, we actually already talked about this one. So you know what Malachi 3, 6 to 11 says. So I'm going to keep, I'm gonna keep going on that. Okay. You got this one. Our specific responsibility is to take care of our family. Don't run away. First <laughs> um, Timothy 5.8 says, But if anyone does not provide for his own, and especially for those of his household, he is denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. We're going to be talking a little bit more about that tomorrow, I think, and also the last day, um, because that is one of our responsibilities as the steward is to, to take care of our families. So we'll be talking about that. So sometimes when we look at what God expects us to do with the money, uh, yes, he does expect part of it back for himself, but he also expects us to take care of those that we're responsible for. That's yours. All right, so some of the ways we do that, uh, first is get out of debt. Proverbs 22, 7, the rich rules over the poor, and the borrower is servant to the lender. So we already talked about that text. There was an interesting story. We were listening to uh, we were listening about uh, William Penn, and he lived in London, and it was during the time of the Black Plague. Lots of people were dying, and they quarantined people. And every day they'd have this this um, the horses would be drawing the buggy through, and they would yell out, "Bring out your dead! Bring out your dead!" And you're supposed to drag them out there and throw them on the wagon. They take it out and bury it, you know. And then Ellen White says things like, "Shun debt like the plague," right? So it's, we'll talk a little bit more about that tomorrow. Um, but it's just, it just impressed upon my mind that how important it is to be free to serve God. The second one is building savings, Proverbs 21.20. Precious treasure and oil are in a wise man's dwelling, but a foolish man devours it. Okay, you probably know people who, as soon as the paycheck's there, it's gone within the 24 hours, you know, and then they're just kind of living on crumbs trying to hang on. Till the next paycheck. Thirdly, invest for the future. Proverbs 21.5. Steady plotting brings prosperity. Hasty speculation brings poverty. And we'll so, be talking about that on day four. There's a lot we can say about that. Uh, number four, diversity, di diversify to manage risk. 
Ecclesiastes 11.2, Divide your portion to seven or even to eight, for you do not know what misfortune may occur on the earth. And we'll talk about that on day four, too. Yeah. <clears throat> All right. Um, so money is a test of our allegiance. Matthew 6.24, this is a really important one. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money, or mammon. Um, you know, and that's why, that's why I want this seminar to be different, why we want to, we don't want to do it the way the world does, because they just talk about how to build wealth. That's, that's the whole point, is to get out of debt, to build wealth, to have a lot of money. And as Christians, that should not be our overarching goal. We have talked about what our goal should be, glorify God, to, to be faithful, to trust. So if you have a different goal, your way of getting there um, changes as well, doesn't it? Okay, on the back of the sheet that you have are some of the resources, and we want to just go over them just a little bit to highlight them so that you know what they are. The first one up there says um, Faith and Finance. That's this book. We also have all of these resources out there on the table that you can look at. Those are ours. These are the ones we're going to be giving away. But those out there, are please don't run off with those. This probably, next to Councils on Stewardship, which I also have up here, um, is probably our number one. Just think, yeah, I think this Very is close, our yeah. absolute favorite. If you, had, if you could only get one resource, this is the one I would recommend. Um, you can get it at, through the ABC. Um, very, very practical, very biblical, and spiritual on, on handling debt. And comprehensive. It's, yes. it's the whole gamut of life scope. So it talks, you know, we can go over the titles, financially planning for the cycle of life, giving, tithing, offering, helping others, dealing with debt, making a budget, training your children, major purchases, housing, automobiles, Honesty, integrity, work, planning for retirement, saving and investing, inheriting and estate planning, and the rewards of financial faithfulness. So a lot of what our seminar today is, is going over this. It's been very, very helpful to us. Um, and our second favorite book is this one. It's Your Money Isn't It. Um, it also comes with a workbook, at least it used to. This is a little bit of an older resource, but this has been very helpful for us. So if you have a chance, I think this is still in the ABC, but it's probably back on the bargain rack. <laughs> <laughs> so um, this is the second one there on your list. The third one on your list is Councils to Stewardship, and we've actually read that book a couple times. Oh, it has so many really great um, tips and, and counsel on handling money, especially in that book. And then the last four or five... And tomorrow we'll actually be looking at some of these web pages, but these are very helpful websites. Moneywise.org, we'll show you that tomorrow. The second one is the GC stewardship page, and they have a lot of um, articles and just really helpful things. The third one is something else that we're going to look at tomorrow, Crown. They have some good um, calculators and things that you can use. The fourth one is the NAD website on stewardship. And the fifth one is Compass. Um, so those are all really good websites. I just wanted to put them down there because if you want to look at things 
those are good places to go. So that's by no means the comprehensive stuff of what we've read. We have so many more resources we've read through, and they're cited on a more comprehensive sheet. Uh, so, but we'll be pulling out different ones each day. Yeah, these are the ones that yeah. really pertain to the topic for today. Yeah. Oh, there was one other thing. Um, so, whoops. A couple weeks ago at, um, here's, for the offering appeal, I don't know how many of you heard this offering appeal, but I thought this was amazing. Do we have time? Okay, yeah, I got a few minutes. Okay. Um, I'm not going to read the whole offering appeal, but it was very good. Um, I'll just read this one here. Imagine that if we were all to give our offerings to any and every project that crashes our attention, what would be the result? Two things. The kind of coordination that our mission and ministry enjoys would not be possible. Talks about remote missions not getting the attention and stuff. But Ellen White warns us that when we give, we can be selfish. You ever heard about that? Have you ever thought about that? Usually when you think you're giving, you're being unselfish, right? Well, she talks about being selfish when we give. We can be selfish if we are the ones deciding where our offerings should be directed. And I know a lot of people will give money if you will do this and this and this with it, right? And a lot of times with giving comes control. So when we give, we need to give up control. Otherwise, we haven't really given it, have we? So for me, I just really liked that whole idea that giving can be selfish. And it really sparked my conscience. And it's like, you know, when I give, am I being unselfish or am I being selfish? Just a, a little bit of a reality check on my motives and where I'm coming from. So I just wanted to share that. All right. So we need prayer. Closing so they know prayer. When to start. Yeah. Would you like to have closing prayer? Okay. Dear Father, um, we are so thankful for the finances, finances and the resources that you give us to be stewards of. We realize that nothing that we have is ours. It all belongs to you. And Lord, we really want to learn how best to use those resources for your glory. And Lord, I just pray that this week we can find tips on how to do it better and um, so that we can be free to serve you to the best of our ability and to your glory. Father, thank you so much for each person here today, and I just pray that you will bless them in their lives and in their stewardship of your resources as well. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.com dot org.